Welcome back to the Sports Coaching Podcast with me, Sam Earnshaw. The podcast where we explore and discuss a range of topics from the academic world and begin to explain as coaches how we can implement these ideas into our coaching practice. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Dan Walker, host of the Walker Talks Coaching Podcast and a first year sports science coaching and physical education student at Loughborough University. In this episode, we chat all around the topic of contextual interference, providing an introduction to the topic, discussing the effects of skill acquisition and development, and of course, as always, providing guidance on how to begin implementing contextual interference into your coaching practice. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Dan Walker and you're listening to the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Absolutely delighted to welcome Dan Walker uh, on episode three today, season two, all the way from Loughborough. Dan, how are you? How are you getting on? I'm great, Sam. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. How's, uh, how's everything been in this this strange time, even though we're coming towards the end of it now? Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm itching to get back coaching. I haven't been coaching over the break, obviously, and um, I know a few coaches are back, so it's uh, it's kind of jealous seeing everyone on Twitter posting about their sessions and I'm sitting here, but next next week I start back, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Smashing, smashing. So, for all our listeners, Dan, do you want to tell us a bit about your background, your coaching background, where you've been, what you're doing, studying at the minute? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I started coaching, I suppose, when I was, it was just before I was 15, started uh, just volunteering at a sports camp. And doing everything there, pretty much football, rugby, basketball, everything. So that was that was an interesting start for me. But uh, yeah, I really loved it and just continued on. And then when I was probably 17, I think I was, I started coaching my grassroots team. And uh, I still coach them now. So it's uh, nice to see them progress through the different stages. And then, yeah, I've now recently, so I've just finished my first year at Loughborough University studying sport coaching. Uh, sports science, coaching and physical education. So lots of different disciplines and topics in there. And that's really lent over to the academic side. So really enjoyed that and seeing where it takes me. Smashing. I mean, Loughborough, obviously a great uni as well as Beckett in terms of the, the sports coaching academia side of it. So I, was, I know you just mentioned the course, but how's the course been? Enjoyed it? Is it everything? you? Yeah, thought? it's really good. Yeah. Um, so it's the first year of the course. Uh, which is interesting, obviously, with the first cohort. But it's, it's been really good. Obviously, Loughborough, you know, first in the world for sports science and sport-related subjects. So <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hopefully pretty good. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you walk around, and it's just elite-level sport all over. So it's pretty cool being in that environment. Um, my favourite thing, to be honest, is to go and I sit in on other coaches' sessions. So, like, for example, I go down, I had them on uh, my podcast. I had Mark Jaron from Basketball. And, you know, they play in, the, I think, it's, it's one of the highest divisions. Yeah, it's a, it's a good slope, basketball. isn't it, down there, basketball? Yeah, yeah. so they, he's really good. He, he got coach of the year at Loughborough, I think, a couple of years ago. And it's just his environment that he creates. And then when I went down to the swimming and watched Andy Manley, I'd, I'd never seen swimming at that level before. And the intensity of their training sessions was unreal. Like, you compare it to a football session, I'm thinking, these lads have got it easy. I've watched them swimming, and they're going, honestly, it was like a two-and-a-half-hour session, 
and they didn't stop swimming up and down. Wow. I was tired watching it, so I don't know what they were thinking when they were swimming, but it's really good. Just the environment we're in, and then obviously the course, there's lots of opportunities going. Been to a couple of academies just to watch them, and it's, it's been really, really good. Smashing, refreshing to hear. Uh, I mean, I went down oh, five years ago now. I was at a talent camp for the Youth Sport Trust, so walked around Loughborough campus. Fantastic, great facilities. Uh, but I remember we watched the basketball session. I, I couldn't tell you who the coach was, but so fascinating just to sit back and, and you know yourself, you learn so much from, from just watching coaching sessions. So you mentioned your podcast there. Tell us a bit more about the Walker Talks coaching podcast. Yeah, so I think we set up similar times to be honest, Sam. Uh, the Walker Talks coaching podcast, I've just uh, finished season one, season two of the, the podcast is recently out. And the kind of tagline, if you like, that I've put out with it is all coaches, all sports. So although I'm predominantly a football and futsal-based coach, I kind of would like to, because of my course and things behind that, and as I said, going and watching other coaches, I think you can learn a lot from all different coaches. So the tagline is all coaches, all sports. And yeah, we talk to different practitioners, whether that's coaches, people from uh, the academic side, or even nutritionists and physiotherapists, anyone to do with the game that can help improve coaches and help improve the players ultimately. Yeah, smashing. I mean, yeah, I think just about the same time right, we actually got in touch. Uh, really refreshing to hear, very, very similar ideas, similar concept to uh, to the sports coaching podcast. Uh, and I'd, I'd encourage anyone listening to go and get Dan's podcast to listen. There's some really great content on there. So just to uh, just to finish us off, Dan, just you mentioned you're predominantly a uh, a futsal and, and, and football coach. So what's your aspirations in coaching? Where are you, where are you looking to go predominantly after, after Loughborough? Yeah, well, I guess I'm seeing where it takes me. I'd like to work in the professional game. That's obviously the aim of it. Um, in my third year at uni, I'm hoping to do a placement in an academy. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, this year coming up, there'll be a lot of applying, a lot of applications going in. So I guess we'll see after that. But Hopefully that'll give me a good opportunity to go and work in an academy and work in, in football. Um, as I said, I'm just enjoying where the coaching takes me. And I've, I've actually, recently I was quite lucky, I've been accepted onto Fowler, which is the FA Academy Leadership Programme. So it's starting virtually in the beginning of August, but that's um, people from all over the country between the ages of 18 and 23 coming together and working kind of on leadership and uh, there'll be coaches, referees, uh, all different types of volunteers are in the game. So that should be interesting. Um, and yeah, kind of my work as well with the, the Leicester Youth Council. And we we're kind of, it was kind of annoying. We just started up before the lockdown and then it kind of has brought a halt to it. Yeah. But hopefully when that starts back, we can impact grassroots football in a better way because obviously there's a lot of from my perspective there's a lot of um, pitches and facilities that aren't as affordable for grassroots so hopefully maybe trying to start with a bit of change that in last year and seeing where that goes but yeah go back to your question I'm, I'm taking over every opportunity and really enjoying it yeah yeah I mean it's uh, refreshing for me uh, to, to see and hear Dan you know just you obviously you're only 19 uh, wish I'd have had the same mentality, uh, but yeah, you know you've had a lot of great success for so uh, congrats to you. Re really great to hear your story. So let's move on to today's topic then. So <coughs> excuse me, I'll just cut that out. So we're going to chat around the topic of contextual interference. So 
it's a it's an interesting topic it's something i haven't actually done too much work on since my second year uh so i might be might be relying on you a bit a lot today Dan. uh but yeah really interesting topic so we're going to talk about obviously an introduction to the topic uh so we're going to talk about the effects on skill acquisition and development we're going to speak briefly about what the uh, research in sports coaching academia tells us and then we're going to talk about implications for coaching practice so how can we give advice or, or tips for coaches to implement contextual interference into their practice. So, the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. To start us off, then, Dan, I guess, do you want to give us an, an introduction, if you like, of, of the topic of contextual interference? Absolutely. So, contextual interference is all about and within the topic of skill acquisition. So, obviously, that's really important for sport coaches to understand this because. If you break it down, ultimately, that's what a lot of sport coaches are doing, is trying to teach their, their players new skills. And if you don't know about how skills are required, it's quite difficult in order to do that. So contextual interference is broken down, and a lot of people are quite uh, well-known about the topics of blocked and varied practices. So block practice would be where you repeat maybe a, a movement pattern or a skill over and over again. So, for example, um, me and you were standing five metres apart, passing a football for about 20 times. That would be quite a block practice, yeah. working on side foot passing. And then a varied practice version of that would be it kind of in a random situation. So it could be a 4v4 and in football, foot sound, you're trying to score, but there's a focus on that side foot passing. Yeah. So even though that's the same skill, it's within two different practices and there's very different um, things to take into account yeah. and situations and variability within that. And that's where contextual interference comes in. So there's two different types. There's low and high contextual interference. Yeah, so yeah. low contextual interference would lend itself quite well to the block practices. And the reason for that, uh, well, there's actually two um, pieces of academia. So there's reconstruction hypothesis. So that's all to do with reconstructing the idea of the skill. So a low contextual interference block practice would be you wouldn't have to reconstruct the idea that often. Mm. You may be, you know, you think about it for the first two passes and then because it's the same thing over and over again, there's not a lot of mental effort um, to remember how to do it. It's quite, you kind of go on autopilot if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then in high contextual uh, interference, it's all to do with that varied practice. So you're having to reconstruct that idea because you could do a side foot pass at, um, on the left-hand side of the pitch and then you might find yourself in the middle of the pitch. And even though it's another side foot pass, the opposition are in different places. There's different... Um, it's, it's a different context, if you like. So you have to reconstruct that idea and a lot more mental effort goes into it. So that's all to do with reconstruction hypothesis of it. And then kind of elaboration hypothesis it's very similar, but it's just on the idea of you having to elaborate that memory pattern, that idea for high contextual interference, whereas the low, the low block practice, me and you passing the football, it's, it's not taking a lot of mental effort. The cognitive um, ability to do that isn't very high. And that's kind of what, high, uh, what contextual interference is and what it means for skill acquisition and for coaches. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Great, great introduction there, Dan. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting topic. I mean, my understanding of it was, <coughs> excuse me, it's the whole ideology 
in a, in a in, you know if we're talking simple terms is that we're trying to pull them into a different situation or scenario whether that's skill whether that's context like you mentioned uh, whether that's a game situation or action working on something completely different but trying to remain that skill we might have focused on in our block practice for example so if we've i don't know let's say we've spent two weeks two sessions a week working on side foot passing the contextual interference might be a completely different skill or a tactical concept that might either implement or not implement that skill and the whole idea is so what how is how much have they picked up of that skill how much have they remembered the skill in a way uh, so it, it, it's a it's an interesting topic and I, and I like how you spoke about the reconstruction hypothesis and I think that's a really great term you know how are they reconstructing what they've learned in in different situations and, and different game game scenarios so if we move it on then to the idea of a skill acquisition or skill development what is the effect of contextual interference on acquisition or skill development yeah so it's all to do with when you're reconstructing the skill it's, it's the skill transfer that you're getting and as you said with the reconstruction hypothesis it's kind of how well are you going to have learned that skill further down the line? Yeah. So with the low contextual um, interference block practice type sessions, your performance when you're doing that within the training session, it's probably going to look quite good in the training. You know, yeah. it's, if you have a bunch of parents on the side and you're doing a lot of these passing block practices, it might look quite fancy and everything like that. But for the long-term development and when you go and see your matches, you're not going to have remembered it. That skill transfer isn't really going to be there. So as good as it's going to look in the training, yeah. and you know, it might be good for an interview that you're doing for a session, on the actual match day, it's not going to have really affected the players enough for them to repeat it. So if you're basing your whole session around that block practice, that low contextual interference, it's not going to lend itself too well to improving your players' long-term development. Yeah. Whereas the oppositely with the high contextual interference, the varied practices for the skill acquisition, it's going to be quite poor performances in your training. You know, your players aren't going to be absolutely smashing it straight away. So obviously you've got to build in that resilience and you've got to tell your players this to it. Otherwise, you know, the heads might go a bit, but in the long term, it's all about the process and that buy-in. These players will get better because of the, the situation that you're putting in their, their skill transfer is a lot higher because of the high contextual interference. Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I like how you mentioned long-term then. You know, when we are particularly thinking about predominantly youth development, but also as well in, in the adult game, you know, like you say, it's great if we're getting a player to perform aside from, you know, if we're doing block practice, you know, if we start the session, maybe they can't perform it at the end of the session. That's great if we've worked on that. But, what I find when I've, you know, in some of the coach education roles I've held at uni and outside is that they don't, coaches don't tend to think about how a player then implements that skill into the game. So like you say, fantastic, you're working on it and they might perform it at the end of that session. But really, what we're trying to get players to do predominantly when we're teaching them any sort of skill is we want them to be able to re-implement that in the game. And I think that's, that, that's a really great point you, think, you, you make, sorry. And I think... You know, we think about time frame, you know, 
again, it goes back to this perception of that, oh, we have to be seeing something directly straight away. You don't. You know, if it takes weeks on weeks on weeks on weeks, you know, but if we're doing this contextual interference with, or sorry, high contextual interference, when you're looking at varied and maybe even getting into random practice, we're really looking at acquisition and development long-term that's going to benefit benefit the athletes in the future. Absolutely. I think what we talked about on um, the episode we did on my podcast with the, the repertoire of skills, it's quite funny. You see a lot of coaches and on the Sunday, they're shouting at the players and they're saying, we did this in training. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, you probably did, but it was probably the block practice when they were doing the side passing over and over again. You suddenly put them into a game and they've got, you know, three or four players charging them down. And you're thinking, hmm, okay, it's a bit different. I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared now. These players are, you know, it's a bit different to me and you standing passing. So although they have done it, have they done it in that context? Have they done it with high contextual interference? And I think a lot of coaches are quite afraid sometimes of that chaos in their training sessions. Yeah. They think it needs, to, and I think it's quite, I'll probably say I was probably, when I first started out coaching, you probably are, you're probably a bit, oh, it's got to look perfect. It's got to look all nice and neat. The players look have to look like um, Barcelona-style tiki-taka football. If it looks a mess, they're not learning. And that's completely the opposite. They need to, football's an invasion game or uh, futsal or any, you know, any of the invasion games, they need chaos because they have it in the actual game. So you need to replicate that in training. There's no, there's no element of uh, static blocks practice within an actual game. So you need to be training that varied and that random practice within to the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I mean, for years, I would, I would be working on like a, I always call it closed practice, on a closed technical skill or maybe a closed tactical, uh, a tactical skill or, or situation. But, you know, it goes back to that idea of if we're expecting players to make specific decisions in a game, they've got to be making those decisions in training. And, you know, and I suppose linking with the idea of, of contextual interference, like you said at the start, you know, great you, you're working on a side foot pass that's brilliant but from a, a decision making point of view when they're in a game and they're getting four or five players running in this dynamic environment ever-changing football game for any invasion sport in particular they, they don't know what to do with it and like you say you know you see coaches ah oh, we've worked on this in training i was one of them for years you know because i could never understand well we, we worked on it in training but we're not teaching them how to use that skill you know, every tactical periodization, every decision you make has a tactical intention and it requires the technical solution, the psychological solution, the social solution. So, and I know we're just getting a bit off topic from contextual interference there, but I think the whole ideology behind it, what I really like is it's almost challenging the players, right, we've taught you that, but now we're going to teach you something else. So what's your, what's your reconstruction hypothesis then? How well can you remember that skill and implement it in this situation and this one and this one and this one and this one? And that's another thing I, I find. Some coaches, yeah, we're working on side foot passing, but we're doing it in this game situation. So, for example, maintaining possession. Great. But you've then, from contextual interference, pull them into a find and create space situation or limit space situation. That's where this interference comes in. It's a skill 
but we're trying to recreate in different different situations really 100 percent. well i think it's um it's a good point to touch upon as well because a lot of i guess the listeners might be coaching younger players as well now there is limited research done on uh, younger athletes within contextual interference however the work that has been done has kind of showed that there's not necessarily they kind of tend to be better with the low contextual interference to start off with now this kind of makes complete sense because you think if you've never done the skill in the first place you're not going to be able to do it in the random varied practices so i think coaches need to be aware of that so as much as it's great listening to this i'm thinking right i'm going to go in my new session, I'm going to do varied and random practices all over, and the kids might get quite overwhelmed. So it's, it's okay to do those block practices when they're first learning the skill, or if you're doing a warm-up or something, maybe start off with that. But there's always that progression within the varied and random practices. With everything, there's always that balance. It's never within coaching, it's never right, you've got to do it 100% this way. There's always that balance. So uh, Brady 2004, a lot of his work, that it's limited um, the amount within the field, but his work on children within contextual interference shows that start off with the blocks, uh, low contextual interference practices, and then you can move on to the high uh, contextual interference practices. Yeah, uh, yeah, re- really great point you make, Dan. Uh, you know, and I think it probably links to what, what what we were chatting about on your podcast the other day. They've got to, we've got to teach them the skill first, and like you say, yeah. block practice might be depending on your context you know who you're working with that might be the best way to teach them that skill yeah if you're you know if you've got a group of players age five and they've never played before and you're lobbing them into random practice and varied it might say it might be a bit overwhelming you know particularly from a ecological dynamics perspective they're not going to perceive any opportunities for action in in, in a sense uh yeah yeah i mean i think i think that's a really great point and i think you know, a wider picture, it, it goes back to that perception of what coaching is, you know, and we have a lot of grassroots coaches listening to this podcast, a lot of academy coaches, you don't have to be doing enclosed skills all the time, you know, you can look at different ways of trying to implement this interference, you know, I mean, I can remember in second year, I, I explored it briefly, and to me, contextual interference can even be, if you're, let's say you, you're with your football team, you do four weeks working on a particular concept, then you might go and spend a week doing basketball or a week doing volleyball, uh, sorry, not volleyball, or a week doing netball. Invasion games with the same tactical structure, tactical concept, but that's when that, maybe from a tactical principle point of view, that's where that interference comes in because you're exploring a similar or the same idea, creating space, maintaining possession, attempting to score, defending the goal. But working with different skills and that is another way that I found was particularly useful uh, to to implement that. Definitely I I think as well that specialization within sport it gives kind of a break from your sport a bit which a lot of children can get quite bored with the same thing over and over again so if you get a bit of that difference within sports and if you're adding in that contextual interference within it um, that's even better so there's, there's lots of different things you can do but as you just mentioned there, they're all invasion games and so they have the same tactical elements of defending, maintaining possession, transition positive and negative and attacking. It's all, it's all within the invasion game, so you can definitely implement it. Yeah. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Smashing, smashing. 
So we will move on then to around implications for coaching practice. So Dan, how do we, I know we've, we've briefly touched on it just in our discussion there, but how do we, you know, for any coach listening, whether you're grassroots academy, working with adults, semi-pro professional level, how do we begin to implement this ideology of connect, contextual interference into our practice? Yeah, so I think you've got to be wary, as I said, of course, of the age of your players and the stage of their ability. So there's obviously, when I say age, I think the research kind of looks at, obviously, when you think of age, you think of children and their chronological age, but obviously it's age of their development and what stage they're at within yeah. their footballing ability. So if they're, even if they're an under-13s team, but they're very advanced, obviously you can be doing those random, varied practice, high contextual interference a lot earlier than you can be with even an under-15s team who they've only just started playing football. Yeah. And you'd have to remember to do start off learning the skill, maybe with those block practices, but always have that element to then progress into the varied and random practices once they've learned it. I think an interesting thing for coaches to remember in the implementation is GMPs. So these are generalized motor programs. So a GMP, for example, would be kicking or catching or throwing. So obviously with all different sports, but you've got what the contextual interference research suggests that you shouldn't be doing a, the same GMP um, over and over again. So for example, within golf, you wouldn't want to be teaching the drive and a sand wedge shot on the same day because they're both kind of that hitting action with the golf club, but they're completely two completely different shots. Yeah. So maybe within a football context, you wouldn't really want to be doing long passing and out, outside of the foot um, short passing on the same day. Maybe you could add in maybe volleying, shooting at goal along with that short passing. Or you wouldn't want to be doing a short throw and long throw on the same day because it's the same generalised motor pro uh, programme off throwing. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's something to bear in mind for coaches. Yeah. But the main thing for their um, the implementation of contextual interference is remember the age of the players and their in terms of their footballing age or their sporting age. Remember the GMPs and then once you've done that, you can decide what stage they're at to do either the blocks, low contextual interference practices or the high contextual interference practices kind of varied and random. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some really great points. Uh, I think just to pick on or pick up from what you said there, you mentioned age and stage. And again, I think it's, you know, for coaches listening, I think it's important to recognise who you're working with. So from a developmental point of view, you know, what are you trying to achieve? What what are you trying to work on in terms of what, what's required for their development? So, you know, if you're, if you're within maybe a younger age group and you're looking to maybe teach some of these technical skills, you know, trying to teach side foot passing, shooting techniques, tackling techniques, it's important to think about, okay, so how are we going to use this, as we've mentioned before, interference? Are we trying to get them to recall these skills in different situations? Uh, or are we trying to teach them a range of skills? When you get higher up the continuum, so maybe 16, 17, 18, 19, when you've got players who maybe already have these skills in their locker, should we say, uh, or in their repertoire, 
maybe we might be using contextual interference a bit differently. We might be using it from a tactical viewpoint, or we might still be using it from a technical viewpoint, but slightly different to how we would with a youth development sense. So is there anything just you might want to add on that for a point there? Yeah, I think you've summed it up quite well, as you said, with the younger children, that the skill development is, is very much lends itself to the contextual interference. One of my favourite things that you've mentioned there to do with the tactical elements of it, I really enjoy doing um, situations within my training. So in terms of tactical situations and letting the players uh, react to that and come up with their own solutions. Because at the end of the day, if you're sending the players out onto the pitch and they're always looking towards you for the for the skill of the tactical um, implementations within the game, you haven't really taught them well enough because they can't react themselves to that implementation. And also, you know, these players aren't necessarily all going to go on to be footballers. Some of them might go and be coaches, if you like, which would be quite cool. And, you know, if they can learn that tactical implementation from there through these situations, then why not? And use that contextual interference within the, the tactical elements and, and you've, you're doing quite well with your players and you're improving them, not just technically, but obviously tactically as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just going on my earlier point, you know, you mentioned high contextual interference and low contextual interference. So when we're getting to uh, the sport specialisation and sport investment years, so when we're getting, you know, maybe to 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, that might be more... Again, depending on what you want to achieve, but that might be more where high contextual interference comes in because we're really looking to challenge them players now. We're really, they're at that age where they're looking to potentially become professional or semi-professional players in whatever sport. We're really looking to challenge them. Whereas at that younger age, when we're just introducing them to the sport and everything's more so around, you know, enjoyment, fun games, uh, you know, increased participation maybe then low contextual interference might be more appropriate because yeah we want to challenge them we want them to you know remember the skill as such but they've got lots of time to develop and I think that's an important point as well you know we don't have to again you know I talk about guidelines of coaching there's there seems to be a perception that we have to teach them a side foot pass at under seven and they have to be able to do it by under eight ridiculous you know to me, when you get to 15, 16, maybe then that's when we're looking for that. They're still developing, they're still growing. So I don't know if there's any more, anything you'd want to add to that, Dan. Yeah, I mean, specifically, we're, I know we've been talking about uh, the cipher pass or passing in general, but a lot of, um, and I know uh, Pete Sturgis, um, who's done a lot of work, obviously, with, with futsal within England, he is quite, um, puts a lot of stuff out there and Stuart passing and dribbling within uh within youth football and for me he's, he says that youth children are a lot it's a lot easier to teach a child to dribble but it's um let them dribble a lot first and then you can teach them the passing whereas if you teach them passing first it's a lot harder to, harder to teach them to dribble yeah. i think that's 100 percent true because yeah. if you've got a child who's naturally a dribbler it's easier to teach them the options to pass whereas someone who's naturally gets the ball and then always looks to pass won't have the confidence to go and take on a man and go and shoot or dribble into space. It's quite hard to get that, that ability and that confidence and that opportunity for them to see where to dribble. Whereas I think it's a lot easier to teach the passing. So I know slightly off topic, but just to pick up on the passing element of it and the ages that you teach things at, I think it's, 
there's no set way. There's, I don't think you should put out, right, you've got to, as you said, you've got to learn how to do this skill here, otherwise you're never going to make it. Yeah. But I think it's a lot, I think people get hung up on passing a lot and I think uh, you teach kids how to dribble and then you can teach them how to pass from there and they're a lot older. Yeah, uh, super point. Uh, really relevant as well. You know, we think about, you know, you've, you've got to be aware as a coach, what, you know, what are you teaching them and how are you potentially constraining the development so you know you chat about their if you're teaching passing first they're unlikely to dribble because that's because they're not used to traveling with the ball they're not implementing any fundamental movement skills you know again from a psycho behavioral psycho social point of view confidence uh you know the you know i think about when i was a kid you know i never wanted the ball i didn't have the confidence and that, that that's such a such an important point so if we're you know, implementing skills first and then using this idea of contextual interference, what skills are we starting with? So like dribbling, that allows us to maybe then work on uh, shooting, passing, heading, chesting. Because if you're starting with passing, maybe you're a bit constrained of what you can then develop. And it goes back to this idea of, you know, skill acquisition. There's a lot of stuff in the academic literature or academic side of things and there's a lot of different ways. And, and really, my advice is always, what's your context? What's your context? What's the aging stage? Who are you working with? And how best do you think that you can go and implement these ideas for skill acquisition? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, re really interesting stuff, Dan. Uh, so we've, you've mentioned a bit about uh, what the academia says. Is there anything else you want to add from, from there? Um, no, that's pretty much it. As I said, with the reconstruction hypothesis, we've got uh, Lee and Magill, 1985. Uh, so there's, there's work around that if people want to go further into the reconstruction side of things. And then the elaboration hypothesis um, is Shane, 1983. And then I mentioned Brady, 2004, with children um, in terms of contextual interference. Uh, there's work still to be done there. So I don't know if there's any researchers out there who want to do a bit more work on, on children with contextual interference. That would be quite good. It would be interesting to see because it's, it's obviously a big area within grassroots or within academies. So it would be interesting to see more work done on that. But there is, there is some, a lot of work out there for adults. So uh, it's interesting reading to do. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, good time to announce that we're going to be implementing a sports coaching podcast reading list on the website for, uh, for anyone. So thanks for sharing them, Dan. So just before we, uh, just before we finish, Dan, is there any, any tips from your experience so far? I know you've, your coaching journey is quite early, uh, but a lot of knowledge from yourself. Is, is there anything, anything from your experience just to add? Um, so as I said, within contextual interference, you've, you've got to know, we've picked up on it, your players, the age, the stage, but I guess it's, uh, people argue a lot on Twitter, uh, which, which is quite a, uh, it's, it's, it's not an uncommon thing, but I think people get hung up on, right, we need to, and as I said before, we need to 100% only do this type of practice, or we need to 100% do the opposite. And there's always a balance between it, and I think that's why a lot of people argue on Twitter. Um, so we've got to remember that, try out the block practices, try out the varied practices, try out low, try out high contextual interference. I, I've, as I've mentioned a lot you've got to try all different types of experiences within coaching and try out with different teams with different players different ages different genders different abilities just go out try as much as possible it's going to make you a better coach but you're also going to find out yourself 
and put this theory that we're talking about and this academic side into the practice and and you'll be able to develop the players and you'll develop as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to just as a finishing point, uh, if you're implementing these ideas, you know, whether it's right or wrong, you know, if it's the first time you implement it, you're doing more good than harm, you know, because you're at the end of the day, if you're switching between block practice, varied, random, implementing this idea of, of interference, that's going to be beneficial for the players, the athlete, for their skill development and skill attainment or skill retainment, should I say. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a really great, really great point to finish. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're, uh, we're, we're pretty, much, uh, pretty much there uh, with the conversation today. Dan, I've got to tell you, for a kid who's 19 in his first year, absolutely exceptional from you. Uh, the amount of knowledge you've just been able to come out with there, I think is absolutely class. Uh, really, really great episode. Really, really enjoyed that. So, Dan, if people want to get in contact with you, if people want to follow you, see what you're doing, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, so on Twitter, um, it's Dan underscore Walker 9. And then, obviously, I've got the podcast, which is WT Coaching uh, on Twitter. And then recently started the YouTube channel, which uh, should help a lot of coaches as well. We've, uh, we've got two coaching videos up on there, all to do with uh, coaching tips. And then we've got uh, things to avoid for coaches, common mistakes. And then we post uh, clips of the podcast as well on there. Because um, I know some people don't want to invest, uh, you know, 45 minutes of their day sometimes. So, you know, three minute clips kind of help out. So if you want to go over to the YouTube channel, that's Dan Walker. I'm sure there'll be, you can link it. But um, yeah, if you want to message me, feel free. Dan underscore Walker 9 on Twitter. Superb, superb. Uh, yeah, really great episode. Uh, really, really enjoyable for me. You know, I'm, I'm like I said, I've not really divulged into this since second year. So really enjoyable for me uh, to sit here and just, just listen and learn. You know, people think that when you're the host and you're not learning, I think I've learned on every single episode I've done. So uh, absolutely smashing from me. So yeah, uh, Dan, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thanks for, thanks for sharing your work and ideas. Thanks again to everyone that's listened uh, and we will see you next week. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw.